add his blessing to the reading of the word of the living God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you. Thank you for your kindness and mercy and grace. We pray now in, this, uh, in these few moments together that our minds would be engaged with the written Word of God. We pray that the Spirit of the living God would be moving uh, in our own minds and hearts to illuminate and help us to understand your Word, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and that they would lay down their weapons of warfare, and that they would put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And we will rejoice today for the conversion of the lost, for the encouragement of the believer. For it is in your name we do pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture, and of course here on our last Sunday of the month, we just want to thank together for a few minutes uh, to have our, our youth, have our children with us as well, and I uh, just want to kind of talk about, we call these family Sundays, and you know, one of my favorite references in the, in the New Testament for the church is the, the family of God. Now, the church is recognized in many different ways, uh, the family of God, the, the pillar of the truth, the bride of Christ, uh, the light and the dark. The, uh, the city that is set upon a hill. And so we want to think about all of these things together. But I really enjoy talking about the church as the family of God. And when I think about that, we recognize the, the passage that is before us today. Uh, and in fact, the rest of the chapter, but especially these first five verses, really speaks about a model family member within the church of God. And uh, you might have been at a, a family reunion before, and, and you could all tell stories about, uh, you know, crazy Uncle Joel's. Hopefully don't, we don't have a crazy Uncle Joel in here. You might have somebody in your uh, family lineage that when you go, you know that they're going to talk your ear off. Uh, you might have somebody that's always grabbed your cheeks like that. You might have had somebody that gives you a hug a little bit too long until it's uncomfortable. But we all have family members. We all go to these family kind of reunions. And we understand that there are many different people within the family of God. But there is a model, there is a way in which we should all behave and believe and act toward one another as the family of God within our local church. And I just simply want to give you three or four points today of a model believer within the family of God. And would you just apply this to your own life in your own setting and say, are these, are these the ways that I behave toward other brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Baptist Church? So look with me first of all at verse number one. It says, uh, and therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Now drop down to verse number 5 and you'll find the other book in the repetition here of that same concept for this reason, verse number 5. When I could, notice now it's singular. You see, Paul is writing in the plural corporate in verse number 1. He's saying Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy. That is, right, chapter number 1, verse number 1. These three guys are writing the book and so the Apostle Paul is, is saying in a, in a corporate sense when we could endure it no longer. But when he gets down to verse number 5, it is where the rubber meets the road and it is if the Apostle Paul is saying, I have a holy anxiety for the people, the believers at the church at Thessalonica. In verse number 5 he says, For this reason when I, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. 
Brothers and sisters, I think the first point I would say is that model believers within a local body of Christ like our church here is that we have genuine concern for each other. Amen? Uh, not, not something that's just passing by, not something that's just fleeting, not something that's just in the moment or surface level or, or you know, this kind of, how are you doing? Great, I really don't want to know. I'm just giving niceties and I'm going to move on to the next person. You know, I grew up in a church, and even in our church here, oftentimes we'll have like a handshaking time, right? Or we greet each other, and I, I enjoy that. And so periodically we throw that into the service, and we hug each other's neck, and we uh, shake each other's hand, and we give as many germs as we can in as short amount of time as possible, right? And that's a wonderful and a good thing if it's done properly, but I've been in those situations many, many times, and I've been guilty myself, where I really wasn't all that interested in the person that I was looking at. I was just making it from person to person to person to person until the song leader came up and we began to sing a corporate song together. And all of us in here today, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You see, what God's really interested in is that we have a genuine concern and insight into the other believers within the body of Christ here in our church. And maybe we can't get to everybody, but there ought to be two or three or four or five or ten people within the church that every week you are investing in their life and you're genuinely concerned about what's going on. You're talking to them and loving them and praying for them and calling them and texting them and emailing them. I want to take a plug here and make a plug here for, for our Sunday school. Listen, the largest way in which we disciple people at this church is through our Sunday school program. And if you are not connected, if you're not vitally engaged within a Sunday school program here at our church, you need to be. Because that's a smaller group setting where you can pray for each other and talk to each other, learn about each other, be involved in each other's life, and really, really show genuine concern for each other. I just, want to, I just want to pause and let that sit in. Not a, lot of, not a, not a huge amount of deep uh, theological points today. Just some simple practical points from the text that says to us, this is what a model member of our church would look like. The Apostle Paul said, listen, when I could take it no longer, I sent Timothy to you. And he says, listen, I remained here alone. Him and Silvanus, right? They remained alone. He, he cared about the believers at Thessalonica so much that he was willing to be marginalized and isolated and lonely and to go through all of that that happens when you feel that loneliness in your own soul. Why? Because he cared so much for the believers there. I want to ask you, are you willing to risk anything in your life, not being alone, not being marginalized, but simply maybe being inconvenienced a time or two in your week or in your month to act actually show genuine concern for other people in the church. Are you willing to do that? Right. Or maybe I should dig just a moment and ask you, do you spend most of your time with the same group of people that you always have and you don't go outside of that sphere at all to get to know other people, to show genuine concern about them? Let me ask you this. Even in your small group, do you pray for each other? Do you have a prayer list sometime where you have your family and you have your friends and maybe you have coworkers? but do you have a list of people in your Sunday school class that three or four or five times a week you are actually bringing them before the Lord in prayer? 
And let me push that door wide open, just a little bit wider open. Do you not only think about them and pray for them, do you actually show genuine concern by picking up, listen, I know this is old school, but by picking up the phone and calling them? I won't even, Lord forbid, I won't even go as far as to say as knocking on their door and visiting them. I mean, that is so outdated to actually talk to a person face-to-face. Maybe you could begin by liking a post on their Facebook wall, right? There is a way to show genuine concern for other believers in the church. They posted about their deep-fried kale chips. You ought to like that. No, don't like that. That would be a lie. Don't, don't, don't do that. Kale is never worth eating. It, it, that's not good. There will be no kale in heaven. Amen? Uh, I just went on, I, Listen, I went down a rabbit trail. I'm pulling it back. I'm just saying this. When you leave here today, so we played a little bit, but now let me just ask you to think for a moment. When you leave here today in the next seven days, what will be your plan to genuinely show concern for other believers in our church family? Do you have a plan for that? One thing you could do is you could come to the midweek service. We always have a prayer guide with many people who are hurting and folks that have lost loved ones, folks that are sick, you know, some of our homebound. You could pray through that prayer guide if you wanted to. That would show a way of genuine concern. What you could also do is maybe call or text a few people that are on that list that are having some physical ailments and just say, hey, I want you, I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you this week. Here's something you could do if you really want to challenge yourself. You could find somebody else in the church that you don't know too well and swallow down the, the, you know, the frog in your throat and ask the butterflies to calm down in your belly and just say, you know, I don't know you that well, but I'd like to. Would you like to go to lunch sometime? I'm interested in your life. I want to know who you are. and You're a part of my church family. and I want, to, I want to reach out and get to know more. I want to show genuine concern for the brothers and sisters in our church. I'm telling you, if you walked in my shoes for one week, you would look out upon a congregation like this and you would know that there are many, many people sitting in these pews that have massive, tearful, sorrowful problems going on in their lives. And they could use a friend. Not only could they use a friend, they could use a godly friend that didn't just use them or didn't just pacify them, but genuinely engaged in their life. Somebody asked me the other day, do you think I will ever make good godly friends here? Now, brothers and sisters, we have a congregation that is incredibly receiving and loving and gracious at the outset. We have the best greeters in all the world, and I say that because sometimes James greets at a door, and I'm kind of biased. Amen. We have wonderful greeters. When you walk in here, we, we love you on the front end, but do you love the second time that people come? Do you show much interest in people's lives beyond the niceties and when you first meet them. The Apostle Paul says here, listen, in verse number 5, he says, it's not just that I'm willing to risk being alone to send 
I want to make sure that the tempter, that is in verse number 5, the tempter is the word for Satan. I want to make sure that the people of this church aren't being led astray and taken down a wrong path. It's not just that He wants to make friends with them, but that He cares about their soul and that they're walking with Jesus Christ. And I want to ask all of us here today, are you willing to look into the lives of other people and say, I want to get to know them, I want to invest in them, I want to show genuine concern for their life because I don't want them to slip away from church life. I don't want them to slip away in their prayer life. I don't want them to slip away from reading the Scripture. I want them to walk as closely with Christ as they can. I don't know what that person is going through. I don't know what that man is going through. But I want to help them not be carried away by Satan into a life that is away from God. How many of us know people even here within the bounds of our church that were once a lively part of what we're doing, but now they're walking away, that is, they're walking away from Christ and their lives aren't holy and they're living under the power of their own strength and they desperately need somebody to come to them and say, I'll be your friend. How are you doing? I'll walk with you. Years and years and more than 20 years ago, when I was walking uh, far from the Lord, a brother in Christ picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, I love you. And I, I know you're probably not going to hear this, but I want to encourage you to get back to church and I want to encourage you to walk with Jesus. And I hung up the phone angry. But that was what the Holy Spirit used in my heart to bring me back toward Him. I wonder if you have enough guts today to be a model believer in our family and show genuine concern for other believers. Look at verse number 2. It says here, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. I simply would say, number two, not, we not only need to be the, the kind of people that show genuine concern for each other, we need to be the kind of people who are unselfish with what we have. You see, the Apostle Paul has Sylvanus and Timothy there with him. Timothy is this young, vibrant preacher, leader, elder. He, and the Apostle Paul cares so much about the church at Thessalonica. He, hey, listen, this guy, the Apostle Paul, has been in and out of prison. He's been in shipwrecks. He's been beaten halfway close to dead. In fact, he got beaten so bad one time outside of a city that they left him there for dead. And he's got all kinds of problems going on in his life. And don't you think that he wants young Timothy, who is vibrant and energetic and has all this power and strength and knows the Word of God, don't you think he wants him to be there, to be his encourager and to walk by him and to help him in the ministry? And what is the Apostle Paul willing to do? He's willing to open up his hands and not be selfish with what he has. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have prestige. But what he does have is young Timothy. And he says, I love you, church, so much that I'm going to send Timothy to you. What do you have in your life that you could stop grasping onto to the point that your knuckles turn white and open it up and say, I'm willing to give that. Well, you might not have a Timothy in your life that you could just give over to somebody else, but you might have time, you might have talents, you might have treasures, you might have abilities, you might have all kinds of things that you could let go of and give to other brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. 
so that they might be encouraged, so that they might be lifted up. I would say to us as a church today, do not be selfish with what God has given you. Now I know this part doesn't get a lot of amens, so I'm just going to say it. You choke on it and we'll come back next week and love each other. If you have the means to give monetarily to your local church where you're getting fed and growing and, and, and God is moving in your own life, if you have the means to give financially and you don't, you're being selfish. Look, I know there's a thousand caveats there. I, 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 get, I get all of the quick-darted eyes. I know that. And listen, if there's, if there's things going on in your life and you're hurting, and there's all kinds of things to think about there. I'm just speaking to a group of people and I'm asking if, that's, if that hits you. When I say that and it hits you and you say, yeah, I could probably do that and I don't, you're the person I'm talking to. If you have the ability to open up and be unselfish with what God has given you to help out the body of Christ and the furtherance of the Gospel, do so. Amen, church? Alright, thank you for those two. I appreciate that. I'd say the same thing with your Gospel witness. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that, that church, the way that God designed the church is never, ever, ever to be a, a staff-built church. If you're looking to the staff that you have of now or in the future to build your congregation, you have failed to understand the Scripture. You should look across the aisle at each other and realize you are the church. And what God has called me to do according to Scripture, not according to Steve, is to equip you so that you're better able to leave here and every day of the week Try and share the gospel, invite somebody to church, uh, work on somebody's life, help build. You are God's church builders. And the growth and the unity and the vibrancy of this congregation is on you and on me. But don't look to your staff and say, well, rise and fall on that. You do that and we'll always fall. <laughs> My feet are made of clay and so is everybody else's. No, God has called all of us as the body of Christ not to come and criticize, but to go and evangelize. Amen? Don't be selfish with the gospel that saved you. Uh, Pastor, you don't understand, I'm 70 years old. I, I love you. I hope you live to be 170 years old, but that is not an excuse for being an evangelist of the gospel. You still go to the same gas stations? You still pick your weeds out of your flower bed during the week with neighbors across the street. You still go to the same grocery stores. You still go to the same bank. You still have people up and down your neighborhood. And God has not called you to retire from being evangelist. He's called you to die in the middle of that work one day. Yeah. Don't be selfish. Ask yourself, what kind, of, am I, what kind of church member am I? What kind of family member am I? Do I show genuine concern? Am I unselfish? Let me just give you maybe one or two more points. Are you servant-hearted? Look at what it says here in verse number 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, 
You see in your scriptures where it says, fellow worker in the gospel of Christ or in the ministry of the gospel of Christ, the word here is the same word that we get for deacon, diakonos, right? Now, you need to understand that the word deacon is used in two different ways in the scripture. Let me see where we are time-wise. Okay, so uh, sometimes the word deacon is used in scripture as a particular office, such as you'll find in the pastoral epistles, right? And these are deacons. Sometimes it is not used as a particular office, but it is used as a description of how all of God's people ought to operate in regards to each other and their community. For instance, the Bible calls Phoebe in the New Testament, not from the show uh, Friends, right? Phoebe in the New Testament says Phoebe was a deacon. That doesn't mean that Phoebe held the office of a deacon. What it means is that every day of her life, Phoebe operated in the description of being a servant to God's people. Likewise, that's what's going on here. Young Timothy is an elder. And in fact, in the pastoral epistles, it's very clear that the calling upon his life and the office in which he holds is to be an elder in a local church. But in this context, Paul refers to young Timothy as a diakonos, not as an office, but as a description of the way that he lives his life. And you say, what is the overall description of a deacon? One who is serving hearted toward other people. So this morning, whether you're in here, man, woman, boy, or girl, if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to do the work of a deacon, not in the office, but in a description of what it looks like in a life, then you learn how to serve the lives of other brothers and sisters. That is, that you put shoe leather to your speech. Being a deacon requires one going beyond simply saying, I'll pray for you, but actually goes on to do something for them. In the book of James, James makes this rather clear when he says, don't say to somebody, be warmed and filled when they come to you for something to eat and something to drink and something to clothe them on. But we have a tendency sometimes as believers in our church to say to people, in essence, be warmed and filled. Or in the bless your heart. We have no intention on actually giving them a coat from our closet. We have no intention on actually providing them a lunch or something to eat or uh, help financially. We have no intention of actually doing that, but we say, bless your heart. We're sorry for your circumstances. Now please don't bring that up again because it makes the conversation awkward. God has called the people of this church to be servant hearted. You know, I think sometimes as Baptists, we are so quick to say that washing feet is not an ordinance, and, and I'm with you. I, I think the only two ordinances given into the church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, we make so many kind of jokes about stinky feet and all that kind of stuff. I, but I just want to say something to you. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and in so doing, gave them an example of how to live with each other. Do you, why don't you take that out of that first century text and put that into your 21st century life and ask yourself, am I being servant-hearted? Am I actually doing and helping other people? And when I do it, do I do it with a good attitude? Right? You know there's a difference when mom says, take the garbage, right? And you're like, oh, take the garbage. Right? That is not servants 
being a servant-hearted Christian. So God is interested not only in our action, but in the heart of our action as well too. Do you serve each other? When is the last time that in a humble, non-attention-gathering way, you simply did something out of the kindness of your heart for the glory of God and the good of somebody else for one of your brothers and sisters in church? I want to tell you, you ought to make a regular habit out of that. And part of the reason why the staff is here is to be able to help you know where the needs are. And so, if you're looking for a way to do something servant-oriented that is up your alley and maybe that you're good at, then call the church office or email us and say, hey, listen, is there somebody in the church that I can... I don't have money to give. I don't have this. I don't have that. But, I, you know, here's, here's my... I have a very special set of skills, right? You know? This is what I can do. Is there anybody in our church that could use that? Not only in our church, but in your family, with your friends... Maybe with your coworkers, adopting the life of Jesus and being servant-oriented. Well, let me give you one last point. We'll we'll call it close today. Look what he says here about young Timothy and his character. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ. And why did we send him to that church in Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage you? as to your faith. Now, why did the church need to be strengthened and encouraged in their faith? Whenever you see in the English here where it says something like, so that, you might want to circle that. That always shows you reason for what has been given beforehand. So that no one would be disturbed, distressed, led astray, moved away from the faith by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we have been destined for this. What? These afflictions, these persecutions. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer afflictions. And so it has come to pass, as you know. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul and these guys, when they were in Thessalonica, they were constantly telling the church, now listen, you're looking to us as your leaders. There is going to come a time when we suffer persecution for the faith. This will happen. Jesus said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, if they have persecuted me or hated me, then you know that they're going to hate you. And so the Apostle Paul has already been feeding this church truth. And now everything has come to pass. And the Apostle Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they're going through heavy persecution. And Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to encourage you and strengthen your faith so that you know when hard times come, don't leave the faith, don't walk away, be faithful to Jesus to the very end, and He'll reward you. Amen? So I say to you today, be an encourager. Would you just do that for each other? Gosh, I'm, I'm telling you, I, it bothers me that so many times in, in church life, some of this is preemptive. I'm just talking about all churches. But if, it, if it's true here, then just receive it. Well, we're so quick to criticize each other. We are so quick to presume bad motives on people. We are so quick to be offended and defensive. But God wants us to be encouragers.
I, I, maybe you should think about it like this. God wants us to be Barnabases. <laughs> Barnabas means encourager. Everybody, in, everybody ought to have somebody in their life that operates as a Barnabas. That's in your corner, that encourages you, that loves you, that cares for you. I told the story, I think, on a Wednesday night, but I played basketball in high school, and I remember we were playing a, um, an out-of-conference team, and we were losing by 30. And I remember I, I made a layup. I wish I could tell you I could dunk back then, but I couldn't even dunk in high school. I made a layup. I got fouled, so I get the old-fashioned three-point play, right? It doesn't matter. It's the fourth quarter, and we're down by 31 points. But down on the baseline are all, all, all of our cheerleaders. You're number one. You're, we're not number one or number two, number three, number four. We're number one. Y'all know this cheer? We are not number one. Newsflash. We're not even number ten. We are getting beat to death. But you know what? There's a reason why sports teams have those who cheer. There's a reason why uh, in the fan section, even when a team's getting beat by 30, you still have a bunch of crazies who are cheering on because they understand that the people that are on the court, even when they're getting beat down, they need love, they need help, they need encouragement, they need somebody to say, hey, you're doing a halfway decent job. Stay in there. Don't quit. Don't walk away from it. And I want to say to you, if you're the kind of person that looks at the battlefield or the arena of play in other believers' life and you walk away when there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter and they're down by 30, shame on you. You stay to the end of their game and you love them and you cheer for them. And when they walk off the court and their heads are hanging low, you put your arms around them and you tell them it'll be all right. And then in the end, Jesus wins and you lift them up and you love each other. Because that's what God has called us to do. Amen? You leave here today, so what kind of believer do I need to be? You be the kind of person, be the kind of believer that encourages each other. And you'll be the kind of believer God wants you to be. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. My brothers and my sisters,